My name is Ronnie, if I haven't met you yet. Excited to get to share with you. As Amelie said, we're in Luke chapter 15 in our Bibles, and so if you want to turn there. It's a, an exciting day because, you know, I'm, I'm even thinking, especially if you're here and you're kind of like, I've, I don't know a ton about what the Christian faith is even, is even about. What an exciting Sunday for you because this chapter of the Bible, Luke chapter 15, is one of the most memorable and beloved stories that Jesus ever told about really the heart of the Christian message and the Christian faith. And then baptism, as we'll see later today, is just a, a symbol of, of what that does in people's lives. And so we'll do baptisms at the end of the, of the message before we sing some more songs and worship. And even just to, to tell you, I think there's five uh, people that have signed up to be baptized today and we'll get to hear their stories. If you're somebody in this room that you are a Christian and you've never been baptized before and you've kind of heard us announcing it, if God does something in you during the message as you've seen the baptisms and, and he's just stirring you maybe to get baptized today, Amelie, who just gave that announcement, will be standing in the back and you can wave your hand, Amelie, if anybody missed who that was, but she'll be back there. Go have a conversation with her and maybe today would be a day that you would also get baptized, okay? So Luke chapter 15 uh, the theme of this whole book of Luke that we've been talking about is, is Jesus. He's coming and announcing this good news for all people, this, this gospel. And today, as I said, we're going to get to listen to one of the most famous and beloved explanations of what the gospel is about. And, and specifically at the beginning of the passage, if you look with me at, at chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, I just want to point something out to you before we dive in. It says, tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. One of the interesting dynamics of the life of Jesus is that his message and his person attracted the, the sinners, the people that were the outcasts of society, the people that were uh, the furthest away from God, you know, by, by human perspective. It attracted them, and he, he repelled and angered the religious elite of the day. I don't know if you've ever noticed that before, but it's so interesting, and, and it begs the question, like, what was it that Jesus was saying? If he's coming as, as someone who's bringing a message from God, why is it that the, the religious elite were repelled by him, but the people farthest away from God were drawing near to him? And, and today what we're going to see is that the message that Jesus shares, this message of the gospel, is actually something very different about God than both of those two groups would have ever known. We see that the sinners were surprised by this message about God, this gospel, and the Pharisees, the religious elite, they were offended by it. And Jesus is going to help us understand it by telling us a story. Okay, so we see them, uh, the tax collectors and sinners drawing near to hear him. The Pharisees and the scribes are grumbling, almost as if to say like, Jesus, why are you, you're one of us, right? You're a religious teacher. Why are you wasting your time with the lost causes of this world? And then we see in verse three, Jesus is going to answer them and he's going to start with a little story. Okay, so let's look at the, the beginning of this story. Verse three, he told them a parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Okay, so first story, the story of the lost sheep. He's gonna tell him another story here about a lost coin, verse eight. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. 
Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God for one sinner who repents. Okay. Let's stop there for, for just a second. So to the grumbling of the Pharisees saying, Jesus, why are you wasting your time with these lost causes? He starts off with two simple stories, and then we'll see the third in a second. But the, the basic point of these two simple stories is, is number one, people are lost. He, he's relating this message of, of a sheep and a coin to the reality that humanity, people are lost. And then shockingly, the joy of heaven, this, this joyful celebration of heaven is all oriented around God seeking out and finding lost people. We see that God cares about the, the least dignified among us, which again, this would have been mind-blowing to the Pharisees. He would have thought, why, why would God waste their time with those people? So that's kind of the initial shock to the Pharisees is that God would even waste his time with those people. But as shocked as they would have been that God values and seeks out the lost of society, they would have been even more shocked at what Jesus is hinting at in verses 7 and 10. So just look at this little note of sarcasm that comes from Jesus. Okay, so at the, at the end of the first story, he says, Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who, you know, of course, of course, these righteous people, they have no need for repentance. Look down at verse 10. Just so I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So as much as it would have been a shock to the, to the Pharisees that are grumbling that, that Jesus, that God would come to seek and save the lost, he's hinting at this reality that the, these sinners are not the only people that are lost in the room. It's not just them. This, the sarcasm over like, hey, you know, the 99 righteous people is pointing to the reality that you, the Pharisees, the religious elite of the day, are just as lost as these sinners. And that's where we get to the next story. And this is a story that maybe if you're not even a Christian, you've heard some version of the story, the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son before. And, and this story is building off of the previous two that he just shared, but there's just so much more detail in it that helps us understand more and more God's heart for the lost. And like I said at the beginning, the heart of the Christian faith. Okay? So that's where we're going today. Let me give you just a little outline of basically what Jesus is going to share. The first thing he's going to show us is, is how we all got lost. There's kind of one common way that all of humanity got lost. Number two, he's going to reveal that there's actually two ways to be lost. And then number three, how we can all come home. So let's start by just reading the story, know those things in the back of your head, and then we'll walk through it together. Verse 11, the parable of the lost son. So, and he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, this younger son, he gathered all that he had and he took a journey into a far country and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. So he's kind of at this rock bottom moment. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as, as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. So just pause really quick in the story. He's, he's hit rock bottom. He's come to this moment of, you know what? 
this life that I've chosen is terrible. Like I'm, I'm going to go back to my dad and maybe I can just work for him now. I, I, for sure, I can't be a son, but maybe I can just work and, and earn my, my, or my place back into the family. Pick it back up in verse 20. So he rose and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So just even picture like the, the father's hugging him and he's, it's like his face is smashed against the father. And he's trying to, he's like, you shouldn't be doing this. I'm not worthy. Just the, the muffled of his voice, just saying like, father, I know like, like maybe he thinks his, his father's going to crush him or something. And he's a little bit shocked at the response that he's, he's getting here. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Verse 25. Now, his older son, if you remember, there were two sons. His older son was out in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he's like, what, what is it that is happening? And he called one of the servants and asked him, what do these things meant? And he said to him, your brother, he's come and your father, he's killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat, a young goat. That's what he wanted that I might celebrate with my friends. You never gave me a goat, dad. I did everything you said and you never gave me a goat with my friends. Verse 30, this whiny older brother. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And this is the father now speaking. He said to his son, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So this is a story that Jesus tells in the sight of the sinners that are drawing near, but specifically the Pharisees, the religious elite that are grumbling. First thing, how we all got lost. This is how people got lost. Look back at verses 12 through 16 with me. We see in verse 16 that the son, he ends up at like this rock bottom moment. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. So he's in a total pigsty. Now, when I think pigsty, maybe for some of you, it reminds you of the living arrangement that you had while you were in college. Or maybe the living arrangement you're currently in in college. Mostly talking to the guys here. When I was in college, I can't go too long on this, but I lived with the, the cumulative weight just like body mass of the people that I lived with was in the thousands of pounds. We were all offensive and, and defensive linemen. Um, we all didn't have our moms. We were all in just that endless cycle of like guys trying to figure it out. And two of the, just, just to give you like a little picture of what I was dealing with, my one friend, he got a dog for his girlfriend. The girlfriend never asked for it, didn't want it. So we ended up with this dog. He didn't want to take care of the dog. My wife is like cringing as she hears this, but it got so bad that the dog would, would poop all over the house. And instead of my friend cleaning it up, he would just put like baking soda on it to dry it out and get rid of the odor. So you're picturing my house now, there's just dried poop everywhere. And so, you know, you're me and I'm, I'm just like, 
I am not gonna pick up like your dog's poop for you. And so we just started to live in it. There was also an extended uh, period of time where there just no dishes were done. I just stopped cooking in our kitchen. So just think just nasty, massive pileup of kitchens or kitchens, dishes. Uh, there was a, for some reason a hatchet just like always laying on the ground in our living room. Trash everywhere. Our laundry machine didn't work. Uh, we had a lot of parties at our house, so just like broken doors laying down. One of the worst things that ever happened is, I don't, I don't know how it occurred, but we lost our doorknob at some point. So it's the middle of winter in Bowling Green, Ohio, and our, instead of a doorknob, I don't know if you guys know this, but there's just a hole there in the door if you don't have a doorknob. And again, I see there's no doorknob. At this point, I'm fed up, and I'm like, I'm not going to fix everything that ever goes wrong here, and so I'm not going to do it. And so instead of fixing the doorknob, we would just shove like a shirt in the hole at night. But sure enough, every night, or every morning, I'd walk down, and the door would just be wide open, our house would be freezing, and there'd be a pile of snow just sitting there in the front of our, in the front of our house. Total pigsty. If you were to walk in, you would just been like, do, do these people have no ability to take care of themselves? Like, do, like, somebody needs to call the police to come in and help these guys. Just a total mess. Dog poop, snow, everywhere. Pigsty. This, this son is, is at really a much worse spot than that. He's all alone. He was once with his father, but now he's alone in just this, this pigsty. And for a Jewish person to associate with pigs would have been like blasphemous, like they were just unclean creatures. And the question is, how did he get there, right? How did he, how did he get to rock bottom? How did he get so lost? Well, very simply, he thought that life would be better without his father, Right at the very beginning, he says, Father, just give me my inheritance now. I'm going to take off without you. There was no reason that he had to do that and leave. But this, this basic idea was, I want joy. I want fulfillment. I want a good life. And it, and it won't be with you. I need to go out on my own. And what Jesus is doing here is he's communicating a deep truth about the root of sin in the human race. A deep truth that is actually true for all of us. And the truth is this, we're all lost because we've believed a lie about God. We believed a lie about God. Now, back to the aside over here. One of the things as you start to get to know me is I'm terrible with directions. Um, I'm like totally, I need the GPS. Like I, I'm like one of those people that like, I'm gonna follow wherever it tells me to go. I don't know if you guys ever saw that episode of The Office with Michael Scott where he just drives into the lake because it, it told him to. I am at that point now in terms of not knowing uh, directions. The best way I can put it is it's almost like if, there, if we all had a compass in our head, Mine is just like spinning out of control. Like I have no idea. My wife and I, as we're talking about where to go, usually whichever way I think we need to go, we should, you should probably just pick the opposite. And that rule actually works a lot of the time. So I just have this, this spinning off kilter compass in my head, like no sense of direction. And guys, in a, in a very similar way to that, what sin is, is it's like this compass in our head, this compass more accurately probably in our heart, that points to the way to joy, points to the way to life, points to home, has just been spinning out of control and going in all sorts of different wrong directions. We see this in Genesis chapter three with a lie about God that sends humanity on the wrong course. And the lie is basically this, God is not good, he cannot be trusted, and you need to take life into your own hands. 
this God, I know Genesis 1, hey, Adam and Eve, I know like you just created everything and this is amazing, but you, he, he is not good. He does not have good intentions for you. Little, little beyond that, you can't trust him. You need to take life in your own hands. This, this uh, Christian author named C.S. Lewis, he puts it like this. What Satan put into the heads of our remote ancestors was the idea that they could be like God's. They could set up their own life if they had, as if they had created themselves, be their own masters, invent some sort of happiness for themselves outside of God, apart from God. And I would pause there and say, it's not just that we can, but we, we have to, because you can't trust him. You have to become your own gods because letting him be God will be a disaster. If you want life and joy, you have to go your own way. He continues, and out of that hopeless attempt has come nearly all that we call human history. Money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery. This is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. This is the, the lostness of humanity. This is how we got lost. We got lost actually looking for joy in life, but like a compass that's spinning out of control our hearts are pointing the wrong directions. It's as if this lie about God has entered the bloodstream of the human race. Trace back any sin in your life. At the heart of it, in your bloodstream, is a distrust for God. You don't have a clear sight of his goodness and his greatness. This is what it means to be lost, to be separated from the God who made us and, and the life that he made us for in Jesus' ministry, there were uh, like rich and powerful people that would come to him. A lot of times the religious leaders. And if you notice, their lostness is expressed by the fact that they're searching for answers. They're always just kind of asking him like, what is the meaning of life? How do I get to heaven? So just kind of a more like sophisticated uh, evidence of the fact that they're lost is they feel a sense of discontent. They're, they're out of step with what their identity and purpose is. So they're asking him questions. There's a whole nother group of people in the gospels that were not the elite, not the rich, not the powerful. These people were poor and weak and they tended to express their lostness through this, just like a search for food, provision and healing. Okay. Because they didn't have those basic needs met. They weren't even dealing with questions of identity and purpose, but both groups of, of people were expressing this deep reality that as human people, they're lost. And I just, I wonder what the search looks like for you, what the evidence of the lostness in your life is, whether you're a person that tends to search more deep within yourself and you're doing like online genealogies, you're switching careers a million times, you're switching relationships, all just this relentless pursuit for satisfaction, for identity, for purpose, or you're one of the first people that's like, I'm in line to, to build the human colony on Mars someday. Like that is where home is. Whenever we're doing that, I'm in. My point is just this, the, the search, the discontent that we all feel is just, it's a symptom of the fact that we believe the lie and that we've gotten lost. Now, the Pharisees wouldn't have disagreed with the fact that those people were lost. What they would not have understood is that they themselves too were lost. So here's point number two. There's actually two ways for us to be lost that we see in this story. The first one is the dead end of rebellion. The dead end of rebellion. We see this with the younger brother, the lost son, and then also the sinners and the tax collectors. The strategy here in rebellion is because God isn't good, we have to run away from him. He can't be trusted. We have to run as far away from him as we can, and we got to do this on our own. You could call this the path of wild living, as we saw with, with the younger son. 
pursuing pleasure, expressing yourself. You might say, you know, my life is basically about doing whatever I want. I don't care what people think. And get this, breaking the rules is what will make me happy because the rules are like these restrictions that I have to throw off. So find your own story in here, I, like the specifics, but maybe a basic portrait of this would be this. As you got older, you started to explore the world and then you saw God's commands as restrictions on your life, restrictions towards making you happy. So you began to experiment with things that you would never talk about in church. Anything that brought you pleasure, you wanted to try it out. Whether it was what you did with your body, your mind, your mouth, your money, the only rule was, was to just do what feels good to you and what makes you happy. And you really don't like the feeling of being judged for the way that you've lived, so you distance yourself from, from organized religious type stuff. Um, but of course you're a good person, right? Like especially when we compare ourselves to everybody else. But that doesn't mean you have to abide by the outdated rules of, of like a religion or follow a God. This is the path of rebellion. Jesus says, you're, you're lost. You're lost if that's your life. But where does it end? Verse 16, it ends in emptiness. We see that the younger son, that ultimately the path, it doesn't lead to the joy that he was looking for. He ends up in a pigsty. He ends up feeling robbed, betrayed by what he was pursuing. Everything that felt so good in the moment ended up destroying him. And he's just kind of left like wondering like, is this it? That, that's the emptiness that is felt at the end of the, the dead end of, of rebellion. This week in the news, uh, an article came out, the, the owner of the New England Patriots, maybe some of you guys have seen this, a guy named Robert Kraft, he, I mean, I don't know, he's a, he's a billionaire, just won the Super Bowl for, I don't even know, like five plus times over the last couple decades, could have anything he wants, right? But he actually just got caught in a, a prostitution ring in Florida. Like, so he's, he's been charged with soliciting a prostitute. And you just kind of look into that situation and wonder like, is, is this not proof that you can have everything this world has to offer, but it's still never enough? You can pursue all the pleasures that you want, but there's still this sense of the world not satisfying them. This is the dead end of rebellion. And the Pharisees would be like, yeah, yeah, we are not like those people. We are not lost like them, Jesus. So I'm so confused. Why are you hanging out with them? Like, yeah, Jesus, they're, they're lost. They're disgusting. Why, why are you drawing near to them? Why are you dining with them? Well, the other thing Jesus says is there's two ways to be lost. You can be lost in rebellion, but you can also be lost in the dead end of religion. Religion, and you might hear me say religion and go, uh, isn't this a religion that we're talking about here? Like, maybe you're new and you're like, uh, I thought Christianity was a religion, so what are you talking about? When I use the word religion, think this. Think man's attempt to find God. Maybe picture like a mountain and God is at the top and you finding him, you finding salvation, forgiveness of your sins is all dependent on you climbing your way to the top. Religion is a, is a man uh, achievement, man's effort, search for God. And this is classic Pharisees. So here's the strategy with religion. And this, here's how you'll be lost. Stay close enough to God to get what you want from him. Okay, so you're close to God. You're obeying the rules. But it's not because he's good and can be trusted. You actually can't trust him. So you say, okay, God, give me your rules. I'm going to follow those. And I'm going to manipulate you by obeying the rules. This could be called the path of not dancing. <laughs> Right? If the, if the younger son of rebellion is all about dancing and wild living, this is like, we do not do that. I am not like 
those people. This is pursuing a form of of purity and self-restriction. You would say, my life is about not doing what those people do. I keep the rules, and that's going to make me happy because I won't be like them, and then God will have to bless me. So here's just a little brief portrait. Again, find the specifics maybe in your own life. So your life has been about keeping the rules rather than breaking them. God's commands have been rules for you to master and keep, and you've always kept them. You started to notice some friends that maybe started going down the rebellious path, maybe in high school, and and maybe you never told them this, but you started to despise them. You started to look down on them. You started to feel superior to them, and without realizing it, you've become a grumbler like the Pharisees. You're grumbling that people can't meet your standards. You may even be the most committed person to church activities that you know. But here's the thing. The the dead end of this also leads to emptiness. Did you notice what happened to the, the older brother at the end of the story? This massive party is happening where his lost brother has come home and he is outside the doors of the party, angry, jealous, grumbling. As he set out for joy on the path of religion, the, the moment where he could have received it, the moment where he could have been in the party, he's left outside sulking. And so just a little question, if your obedience of God's commands isn't leading you to intimacy and joy with him and celebration when all people have a way to him, then there's, there's something off there. You might be on the dead end of religion. And what we see is that both of these lead to emptiness, right? The younger son the older son, they both lead to emptiness. So whether it's, it's rebellion and you say, give me the money and I'm out of here. God, give me the, the breath in my lungs. I'm going to need that to live. Like keep sustaining me there, but I am leaving you behind. I'm going to pursue everything that you ever created. This world has to offer, but apart from you. So whether you take rebellion or religion and you end up saying, God, what the heck? Where's my goat? I did everything that you asked for me to do, but you didn't give me a goat to hang out with my friends. And you say that both of those responses come from the same heart, the same basic lie that we believe. And it's a heart, listen, a heart that doesn't want God, a heart that doesn't want the father. Both sons didn't want their father. That's kind of the shocking truth of the story is that the one son by actually running away from him and then the other son by staying just close enough to manipulate him again for a goat Neither of them wanted a relationship with the father. But why? Because they believed that he's not good. They didn't trust him. They didn't think he was generous. I got to take my inheritance now because I don't know what's going to happen later. And Jesus says to all of us, whether you came from one of those two paths, whether you're in one right now, Jesus says, you're both lost. So how do we come home? How do we come home? And I told you at the beginning of the message, this is, this is the heart of the Christian faith. This is like when we see people get baptized today, we're, we're not celebrating that they climbed the mountain of religion. We're not celebrating that they just kind of did whatever they wanted. We're celebrating something very different called the gospel. Okay? So let me contrast it for you like this. It's to come home. Okay? We're lost. To come home is not about finding yourself. You know, so let's just go backpacking in Europe and explore and just kind of think. And then somewhere in the mountains, I'm going to find myself. That is more similar to the, to the path of rebellion. It's also not about finding God. If what you mean by that is, okay, God, give me the rules. I'm going to work as hard as I can for the rest of my life to climb that mountain and obey them. That's the path of religion. The surprising option that we have left is that God has to find us. 
It's not about finding yourself or finding God. The surprising option that we have left that Jesus shows in this story is that God has to find us. This is the surprising path of grace. This is what grace means. Grace is God's love for the undeserving. It is God coming down to find you. You see that thread now weaving through all of the stories, especially those first two, the lost sheep and the lost coin. They go and they find that thing. And grace, guys, it surprises the rebellious. Picture the son again, just face smashed up against the father as he's hugging him. When, when the father was first running at the son, a Jew, Jewish men never run back then. He had to be scared out of his mind that his dad had, he's like, there he is, my rebellious son. I'm going to run at you with a knife and, and end this now and punish you. Surprised by grace when his father runs at him, hugs him, and kisses him. But notice this, the rebellious son, he actually almost turns to religion at the end. He knows he's been rebellious and he goes, okay, what's my path? I'm going to go work for, for my dad. He says it and look down at verse 19. He says, dad, treat me as one of your hired servants. I'll work for it. Maybe I can earn back a relationship with you. He gets surprised by the grace of his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. So if you're at the dead end of rebellion, your option isn't to get religious. It's to respond to the grace of God and the gospel running towards you. This is the gospel for the religious or for for the rebellious. I'll repeat it. The gospel for the rebellious is when you, as the son, you say, Father, I'm, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Maybe I can earn my way back into your family. And the father says, my son, welcome home. Welcome home. I'm throwing a party for you. Notice what grace just like feels like here. Put yourself in his shoes. Grace, guys, it feels like you see your father and you see who he's always been the whole time. Good, loving, generous, His father is just breaking down all the lies that he believed about him by putting on the best robe, by putting the ring on him, by slaughtering the fat. He's he's proving his goodness and his grace and his generosity. Paul, the apostle Paul in Romans chapter five, explains this uh, experience for Christians. Okay, so let's leave the story for a second. Just listen to God saying this into your life. Romans chapter five, verses five through eight. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who's been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still in the pigsty of our sin, Christ died for us. He died for your sins before you committed them. This this love of God is reckless. He says his love is poured out into our hearts. This is what it feels like to experience grace. It surprises you. It sneaks up on you. But if you've been trapped in the dead end of religion, if that's where you've been lost, it actually might offend you at first. Surprises the rebellious, but it actually offends the religious, even as it invites them in as well. But look at this offense. The, the Pharisees, they're grumbling. The older brother is angry and he's sulking. They hate that Jesus is relating to people that haven't earned it. They hate it. So you have it, you, he hasn't earned this party. The Pharisees are saying they haven't earned getting to be with you and they, they hate that. But notice Jesus telling the story and how the father, he still reaches out to the older son with the same grace that he gives to the younger son. 
It says he entreats him. He says, get in here. Son, get in here and be with me. But the son, he refuses. And guys, the refusal to join the party is because the only party a religious person wants to be at is a party that celebrates themselves and their efforts and their achievements, not the God. They don't want to live in a world of grace because they get no credit in that world. You know what it's like to crave accomplishments and achievements and credit? To only want to live in a world where you get celebrated, that's where the dead end of religion is going to take you. But here's the gospel for the religious person. Here's the gospel of grace. Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. He looks into the heart of the religious son and says, son, you never had to earn it. This whole thing about you obeying all my commands so you could have a goat, you never had to do that. The goat was yours. So much more than the goat was yours. I was yours. You never had to earn it and you never could earn it. Come home, son. This is the gospel for the religious person. And we see this with both of these stories. God has to find us in his grace, but we have to receive it through what's called repentance. The path of grace, it leads us home, but that path, it starts with repentance. And repentance, guys, in in light of this chapter is simply, get this, realizing the goodness and greatness of God and turning away from those lies about him and entering into this relationship with him that he's giving you by grace. Imagine it like this. Imagine the younger son just wondering what's happening as his father hugs him. And he has this moment of being hugged by the grace of his father where he has to either decide to push away and say, no, I have to earn it or just let the love of his father overwhelm him and change his heart. That's, that's what repentance should feel like to you, this letting God love you. Imagine the older son standing outside the edge of the party. He hears the music and the dancing. He's sulking and he's angry about it, but his father says, son, come in. I know you're, you're angry with me, but all that I've ever had is yours. You don't have to earn a relationship with me. Repentance for that older son, the the religious son, is to get over himself and get in there. Join the party. Repentance is coming home to our father and letting him clothe us. Do you hear that? Sometimes when I hear the word of repentance, I kind of tense up and I'm like, oh, I got to do it. And there is a real sense where the Christian life requires sacrifice, but it's a sacrifice after the fact that we've just come home to the father and let him clothe us. And then everything is worth it after that. He says, verse 22, bring quickly the best robe and put it on and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Repentance is to say, yeah, God, I'm going to let you do that. I'm going to let you clothe me with that honor. I'm going to receive your love. And then listen, repentance is also coming home to the true joy and the real life that God has always offered to you and eating with him. It's coming into the party. Coming into the party. That's just what blows me away about this passage is that at the end, they left God for joy and life and God has been preparing a party. Their father has been preparing a party for them. There's joy in heaven over the lost being found. God wants to slaughter the fattened calf. Give us the best feast imaginable. He wants to give us real life with him. So let me give you one closing thought before we see this all pictured in baptisms. Okay? In summary, Jesus here in Luke 15, he's teaching us that we've all been invited into a full life of joy that we can only have by grace and with God. By grace. 
Rebellion, dead end. Religion, dead end. Our relationship with God by grace. And our challenge is just to live in light of that. So if you've been listening and you maybe identify more with the older brother, the religious, you need to remember the emptiness of doing church without God. Remember that emptiness. It leads to a life of grumbling and jealousy, not joy. If you're a recovering younger brother, a recovering rebellious person, remember the emptiness. Whatever that looked like for you, the emptiness of feasting without your father. The feast with the father in that story is so much better than being in the pigsty. Remember that. Walk in freedom from the guilt and shame of that. And what would it look like for people to just walk into Doxa and they get this amazing combination of like an incredible, massive celebration of joy matched with this awareness that all of us know we don't deserve to be here. Incredible joy, incredible privilege, incredible humility. All because we've seen the truth about who our God actually is. Let me pray for us. Father, I, I mean, wow. Probably what would be most helpful for us, God, is, is as we've heard these words from the Bible, now we see and hear real stories of people that have been changed by grace. I pray that you would, would uh, just help us to celebrate well as we watch this. Help us to celebrate that we are seeing uh, your, your purposes and even... Yeah, like help us join in the celebration of heaven that is happening over, over sinners, lost people, repenting and coming to know you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.